This is the EWN Podcast Network. Answer Journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes Podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode one of the Cancer Cliff Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Cochran. Back in February, when this idea for the podcast first came to me, it was really from this place of figuring out my new normal. I had been through the initial um, treatment, uh, all the initial treatment protocols for my breast cancer, and I was in this new place of redefining what my wellness looked like and how my body was reacting to all the things that it had been through. So when this first came to me, I had this vision of, of where it was going to go and how it was going to look. And then in the March-April timeframe, I started having other challenges with my health and it was taking a really long time to get to the bottom of it. And I kept saying, something, something's not right with me, like something's going on. And I kept sort of coming up against this wall. And ultimately, the source for what was causing my challenges came to light. And this dealing with our new normal and this need to advocate for ourselves and to really understand that all cancer looks different, even the same types, they all look different. Um, Unfortunately, I know way too many people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer over the last five to 10 years. Many of them have been clients of mine. Um, And just the people that come into your consciousness after you have a diagnosis like this yourself. And there's, the types are all different. There are so many variations, so many flavors, so to speak. And how our bodies react to the treatment is also different. There is no one-size-fits-all manual as we're going through treatment. There are common things that people encounter. Um, and there are, you know, sort of the, the normal, quote-unquote, normal side effects that are more common for people. Um, in my case, I, my doctors and nurses were always looking at me like, that's weird. That's not what we normally see with this medication. Um, and I found that I bumped up on that a lot. Um, and that was really one of the driving factors for this podcast. The more people that I meet, the more people that I talk to, the more uniqueness that we find in our situation, the more people that I wanted to share what other people were experiencing and also what I was experiencing because I found that in sharing what I've gone through and what I'm experiencing at different times, it's helped other people to get to their answers more quickly. a great example of that, and I'll share more about my my story as the weeks and months go on. Um, I am a breast cancer survivor. I've worked with cancer. I'm a cancer exercise specialist. I've worked with cancer survivors for over a decade in my practice, 
um, a movement practice. One of the really interesting things that came up for me recently was bef long before I was diagnosed with my breast cancer, I, it was found that I was celiac. So I don't eat gluten. And as part of my gluten allergy, I figured out that I also have a dairy allergy, which is super common for people who are celiac to be allergic to the protein in dairy. And for months and months, I had been taking, for a year and a half, actually, I had been taking a sort of maintenance medication for my breast cancer. And I was having all these crazy side effects. And my doctor just, I was swelling, I was full of fluid. Um, I was swelling, I was gaining weight. Um, gaining weight while exercising and stripping my diet down to like really clean, super clean eating, um, a lot of cardio, and I was still gaining weight. And I was full of fluid, and it was becoming hard to move. And there were a lot of challenges with that. And as someone who helps people move for a living, it was really alarming. And so I kept saying to my doctor, something's not right, like something's wrong. And it was very challenging, because the suspicion was that it was this medication that I was taking, but no one knew why it was the medication that I was taking because these things that were happening weren't normal medication side effects. And so in May and June of this year, I was really like really raising a fuss <laughs> with all my medical professionals saying something's wrong. And, um, one morning in June, I woke up, sat bolt upright in bed and said, it's gluten. There's got to be gluten in my medication. And it turned out that there was gluten in my medication. Um, this medication used to, it has been around for a long time and it, there used to be a gluten-free version, but it's no longer profitable. So it's no longer made. And I sort of felt like, well, no one, like, I had to put that together for myself. This, is there, are there really that many people that are, that don't have, you know, are there this few people that have this challenge? And just last week, a client came in and said, I was talking to my friend who they, these two ladies both happened to be breast cancer survivors. And they were talking about a third friend who was having challenges and she recognized those challenges as being similar to mine. And she said to her friend, oh, I, that happened. A friend of mine was having those same issues. That's really weird. What she now she was celiac, not realizing that this mutual friend of theirs also was celiac. And they phoned her and let her know that there was gluten in this medication that she was taking. And in having that understanding, she was able to take action, definitive action, and contact her healthcare providers. 
So while our healthcare system is amazing and doctors, doctors are really great at what they're really great at. And the challenge is that we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what they don't know. <laughs> and when we know that there's something not right with our body, we need to be able to stand in that power. And one of the, one of my goals for this podcast is to share people's stories and to share their journeys and where they are. And if a tidbit that someone experienced in their journey is similar to a tidbit that someone else is experiencing now that can get them quicker answers, better outcomes, um, less lag time, that's really a goal that I have for this podcast, to share people's stories, which I think just lifts us up, and to help people see that they're not alone, even though we are so individual in our bodies and our DNA and how we react to treatments and medications and illnesses in general. It's really, really powerful to know that you're not alone and that there's other people who maybe are experiencing something in a similar way to what you're experiencing it. And I know for me, that was really powerful when I was being told, oh, this is weird. <laughs> we haven't seen this before. <laughs> because it's just then you're sort of in this space of, okay, well, what if that's okay, but how are we going to fix it? Like, we, it's happening. So I get it. It's weird, but I still, I need, I need you to fix it. So as we go forward, I'm going to be interviewing survivors and as well as caregivers. I think our caregivers see us much more clearly for the people that we are um, and the challenges that we're experiencing. Often our caregivers see us much more clearly than we see ourselves because as we're going through treatment and things are gradually, you know, we're gradually having to back off of our, you know, normal routine. For me, it was, um, I suffered from hand foot syndrome. And so my hands were very tender, the palms of my hands and my feet were very tender. So I couldn't um, walk my dogs anymore. So walking my dogs was sort of this general exercise maintenance activity that I did every day. I walked them two to four miles and about halfway into my treatment, I couldn't do that anymore. So then as I got to the end of my treatment, I thought, oh, this is great. Like I'll hit week four and I'll be right back doing all those things that I, that I did before. And I really believed that to be true. Um, because I wasn't seeing my challenges in the same way. They sort of came on gradually. Um, so then I had to recover in a gradual manner and to sort of get back to those activities in a different way. And when I voiced to my husband that, oh, I really thought week four I was going to be, you know, back to full strength. And he sort of looked at me funny and said, really? Because, yeah, no, that's, hmm. <laughs> so I think our caregivers often see us more clearly for where we're at. And, they're, and they go through a very different journey. So having 
both that mix of survivors and caregivers and people that can give their experiences, I think that's really beneficial for all of us. And to get different perspectives, um, different perspectives on the things that are going on. Um, The third segment or the uh, last part of the podcast every week will be a supporter spotlight. Um, So that will be really spotlighting organizations that help survivors. I think as we go through this process, we end up not, we may get some of the resources that we need in the moment that we need them, but often there are so many amazing organizations out there and most of them are started because of something someone needed in their process that they didn't get or they couldn't find. They just didn't think it existed. So they created it. And I think it's really powerful to share those organizations because the more we can spotlight the people who are supporting survivors, um, across all kinds of cancer. Um, the more information we have, the more we can disseminate that information and share those resources, um, the stronger we can be and the, the easier our journey through some of those early days and then discovering the new normal can really be. So we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about my specific journey and how I got here. And then later on in the episode, where I'm going to be sitting down with um, Maid Brigade and talking about their new program, Maid Brigade Angels. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. So as I'm recording this, we are leaving the month of October, so Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And as a breast cancer survivor, I would like to say that um, I think every month should just be Cancer Awareness Month. Um, There's a lot of amazing organizations out there. However, it's really important that we are doing the things that we need to do more than once a year to be aware of the, what we should be doing. So screenings, uh, mammograms, and colonoscopies are two of the leading ways that we can screen for breast cancer and colon cancer and have the best outcomes. Early detection in both cases is so important. So making sure that you are going to get your mammogram once a month or once, once a year, (laughs) once a year. Um, And if you have a high risk, if you have a strong family history, um, talking with your doctor about what that might mean because in some cases people with a strong family history 
the screening is semi-annually. So once a year for once a year MRI, once a year mammogram. And in almost every case of people I know who had a genetic component or had a very strong family history who were getting that kind of screening and attending that and not missing a screening, uh, not missing an appointment, they, their tumors, if they, when they occurred, were very easily treatable. It was early detection. It was very easily treatable. In many cases, they didn't even require chemotherapy because the tumors were so small and it was so contained that they were just able to take the actions that they needed to take to really reduce their risk of recurrence in the future. So in my case, I bring up screening because in my case, um, it was a regular screening that caught my cancer. It had the hands-down best physical of my life uh, in April of 2016. And my doctor did a breast exam, didn't find anything. I had done exams, hadn't found anything, wasn't having any pain, no discomfort, no sign of anything. I was actually had the best sports performance in probably a decade. I was at the best weight. Um, I was really active. I felt really good. Um, my celiac allergy was under control and my cholesterol was down 40 points. Like I was in fantastic shape. When my doctor gave me the order for the mammogram, she said, oh, go whenever. I'll see you in a year. Things look great. This is fantastic. But something in the back of my mind had been saying, go get a mammogram, go get a mammogram. So I listened to that voice. I, you will hear over the upcoming weeks and months me say often, if we listen when our body whispers, we don't have to hear it scream. Um, I'd been hearing that whisper for a couple of months, and I'd actually asked for the order earlier. And the staff said, you'll get that at your physical. We can't give it to you before. So I had waited. And I went two days after that physical, which put me on the track for determining where, where that journey was going to take me. So I went on a Friday, I got the notice on a Monday to come back in, went in for an ultrasound, the radiologist was really straightforward and said, I don't like what I'm seeing, I want to get you back for an MRI, you're young, this could be aggressive, we don't want to wait. So one of the big challenges that the radiologists face is that they send the notice that people need to come in for the follow-up ultrasound and people put it off. They don't go back right away. A lot, oftentimes that first callback is just not like they saw something that they thought was suspicious. You go back, it turns out to not be a significant thing. But if you don't go back, you don't know. Um, in my case, I had three small spots um, that were, they were small. They were all less than two centimeters, which would be stage one. They were all small. Um, at the time of my MRI, 
And I basically looked at the radiologist when she did the ultrasound and said, okay, I'm free today. Can I go get in that MRI machine now? (laughs) Happy to do that. Let's just, you know, press ahead. Um, So, of course, you can't do that. If you have insurance, you have to get these things approved. There's a process. So they gave me my films, and I scheduled an appointment with the surgeon who I knew I wanted to see. Several of my clients were also patients of hers. And so I wanted to see her. So I got on her calendar as soon as I could. And then I started calling after my MRI, I started calling every morning to see if she had openings so I could get in a bit earlier for the biopsy. And I was able to, I picked up my films for my MRI on a Friday and on Monday morning she had an early cancellation so I was able to get in to see my surgeon and as a master Pilates trainer when I did my master Pilates training I had to do a thesis paper and I did that paper on working with clients recovering from breast cancer and I did a bunch of research at the time uh, five years ago or so now I was working with a number of survivors, and so I did my research at the time on all the surgical procedures and all the impacts to the muscle and all the impacts to the body and then our normal protection mechanisms and how that affects the shoulders and how that just affects our bodies in general. So when I had my diagnosis, I was in this place of information. I had the information. I knew what all the different kinds of surgeries looked like. Um, I knew what was the surgeries that were no longer particularly common. I knew I had a very strong idea of what I was going to do before I ever walked into the surgeon's office. So I was on the table and she was prepping for the biopsy and my My husband was in the room, and I said, I'm sure people that know too much are a real pain in the behind. However, I decided a long time ago, if I have to make the choice, I'm taking them off, and I'm getting an upgrade. And she laughed and said, well, let's, you know, let's do a biopsy and see what we're dealing with. And at that point, I had read my MRI. It said I had a 95% chance of malignancy. I had three spots. There was limited chance that we weren't going to have to take some action. And I said that to her in in that moment. And I said, all we're doing today is figuring out what flavor this is. And she laughed and agreed that the MRI was not positive. And we went ahead with the biopsy and I went back on Friday, Monday morning. I was in the plastic surgeon's office had a similar conversation with her. Um, and then we moved forward fairly quickly. Six weeks later, I had a bilateral mastectomy. And 12 days after that, I was meeting with the oncologist and moving forward with my chemo treatments. So December 2nd of 2016 was the end of my chemo. And I feel like that's the easy stage, right? We should, we should get a medal. We should get the survivor title just for having to tell people 
where we are in that process and that we are having to have, that we're having to go through this journey. Because often, like in my case, I work with clients. I work with them in my studio. I work with them one-on-one. It's very personal work. And I can't just not be there for two weeks and not tell them why. (laughs) Um, It was going to be pretty obvious as I was going through the recovery from my surgery. Um, So in telling people, you get for everyone out there who is listening, who has been through this, we get reflected back on us every fear, every bit of anger, um, every sadness that people have in their being from their own experiences with the word cancer. We get that reflected when we tell them that we are experiencing this, we get that all reflected back. Everything they've ever felt about that gets reflected back. It's not about us at all. It's about each individual person's experience and perspective. And that's really challenging when you are the person. Like I found that I was providing more support to the people that I was sharing this information with um, than I actually was dealing with my own diagnosis. And that can be really challenging Um, especially if we ourselves are in a place of fear and sadness and overwhelm because it is an overwhelming process. The night before my surgery, we met with the nurse, um, a, an oncology nurse who was talking about the procedure and she was talking about it in a very general way. And I, it was not new information for me because I had done the study. This was, I had a deep understanding of all the surgical things. I I had a really deep understanding of that, but it was all new information for my husband. And he walked out of that meeting and said, oh my goodness, I know that you knew a lot of that information, but I can't imagine being a person who didn't have that level of understanding getting that information the night before surgery, which our situation was slightly different because I, my, my hospital got moved at the last moment. So I had, we had missed the group meeting that they usually hold. So they were doing a special one-on-one with us. So it was slightly different. Most people don't get that sort of download the night before their surgery. Um, But it was very, it's very true. Like he was in the position that most people are in of not knowing, not understanding what all the moving parts are. and, And that can be really overwhelming. So to have a to have a community of people where we can go and say, okay, I'm completely overwhelmed. Has anyone been through this before? Um, that's really one of my biggest goals with this project um, and with my group. I recently started a group 
um, called Be More Than Your Cancer Diagnosis. Um, and I do potentially at some point seeing it just being more than your diagnosis. Uh, because like with me being celiac, that is a challenge that had, sort of bleeds in. That's an autoimmune condition and it kind of bleeds into other things. Um, it definitely has affected how I have fig how I've journeyed down this path of figuring out my new normal. Uh, it's been a big, big player in that field. That I want to grow this community of people so that you can come in on a day that's really challenging or if some weird side effect starts turning up when at a time that we don't expect to be having side effects where we can reach out and say, hey, I had XYZ happen. Is anyone else experiencing this? Because um, I could really use, like I, I could really use some insight from other people who maybe have experienced something similarly. Uh, so between the podcast and the Facebook group, Be More Than Your Cancer Diagnosis, it's a, it is a private group, but you can request to join. My goal is to really build a strong community of people who can support one another as we go on this journey of finding our new normal and really being able to have a, a strong group of people that we can reach out and lean on. Um, and in that regard, I am going to be speaking with David Newland and Misty LaRusso of Made Brigade. And we're going to be talking about their recently launched program, Made Brigade Angels and learning more about how they support um, both cancer survivors and, or cancer patients and people in the community who have suffered a trauma and how they bring their services to those communities and really provide support um, in the way of cleaning. So we're gonna take a quick break and then I'll be back with David and Misty Thanks, and I look forward to talking with you more. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hi, welcome back. I'm really excited to be here today with David Newland, owner of May Brigade, and Misty LaRusso, the office manager there, talking about how May Brigade is supporting um, people going through a challenge, be it a health challenge or other types of challenges. I know it was really important for me when I first was diagnosed, so many people were referring cleaning companies to me or referring me to cleaning companies as someone who is in need. And it was really challenging for me to accept that support because I, in the beginning of my story, I sort of felt like, well, I, I'm not that bad off. Like I, I can still do it. I don't, other people need that support more than I do. And later in my journey, I realized, oh, I really do need that support. That's, that really can make a big difference for me. So 
I would love to hear more about how Made Brigade Angels came about because I know you've been supporting people in this way for many, many, many years since you're since you were founded 10 years ago. How did the idea of the Made Brigade Angels come about? Um, well, actually, we've, we actually started 30 years ago. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, we've been at this for a while. And, um, and we began participating at the national level um, with cancer survivors, cancer patients about, about 10 years ago. So that's actually, that, that time period is actually correct. And we just felt like it was uh, something that we wanted to get involved with. You know, we don't necessarily do everything at a charitable level in, in hopes that we, that we get a customer out of those relationships. Um, and sometimes we do, but our primary focus is just giving back to that, to that community and to that need. So um, for us, it's, one of our mission statements to give back, and, and this program is part of that mission statement. That's great. You mentioned um, some of the national organizations that are out there um, that cleaning companies, I think, can connect into. So this is a this program is a bit different in that regard. Um, I know you work closely with Anova and Stone Springs Hospital. Um, to get connected to people? Are there other avenues that you are involved with to connect people into this charitable connection? In general um, or specific to the cancer patient? Um, I, I think both. Okay. I, think bo I think both. How, how are you getting connected to people and, and what are you seeing as sort of the, the biggest takeaways that people people are getting from the service? Well, I, I guess um, just organically, our first opportunities to give back to the community were probably um, the school levels. I'm thinking many, many years ago where elementary schools would reach out to us and ask us to no donate gift certificates for silent auctions and fundraisers, things like that. And then um, that evolved into participating with most of the major high schools and elementary schools in our market at a pretty high level where we're major sports sponsors and, and uh, participate in fundraisers at the schools. And then through our connections with, uh, we belong to BNI, Bus Business Network International and Chamber of Commerce and Rotary. And so those typical business organizations led us into other opportunities to be able to give back to the community. And some of them are national companies like Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Hero Homes. Hero for, yeah, Hero Homes we participated with. Uh, but most of our efforts um, are with uh, local um, programs. Like in the past, we've done scholarships through Harrington Gillespie, uh, scholarship fund and Loudon Abuse Women's Shelter. Um, we have relationships now with about 35 different organizations and clubs and groups and Youth for Loudon. And you know, it's a pretty extensive list that we have relationships with. So that list evolved through word of mouth because we never advertised and we did those things. But when it 
became apparent that we were doing those things, then people started reaching out to us. And we have people almost on a daily basis at this point asking us to participate at various and sundry levels within the community. So it's taken on a life of its own um, with very little, in fact, zero marketing efforts on our end. It's all just been word of mouth and, and um, to get to the point where we've got, that we've um, reached today. That's great. So if someone, and let's say someone like me who was going through chemo treatment, yeah. um, what, what do those services look like? Sure. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. We don't really have a framework around it. We have kind of a, um, an idea of what we like to do, but it really depends on uh, each person's severity. Like, for example, even outside of the cancer patient realm, there's some, been some pretty drastic and um, big tragedies that have happened to families in our area. And so we reach out to those families and try to participate at whatever level that they'll allow us to. And the bigger, not, not to put a, a number on it, but the bigger the tragedy, the more, obviously the more we're going to want to help those, those people out. And that's something that is just continually and ongoing. Um, for, I guess there's no typical cancer patient either, but, but a typical situation where someone is going through chemo um, or, or some kind of treatment and they're, they are home and not able to work, we typically like to set up um, cleanings. Um, I think right now we're primarily doing that. We're we doing monthlies. Yeah, we were, we were typically doing once a month for four months. Um, but like he mentioned, if, if the need of the family was different, then obviously we would consider that and see if they'd rather just have one big deep cleaning of the whole house before, you know, before they went into the hospital so the environment was sterile. Uh, since we're a green company, obviously that's really important to the families to make sure that, that those chemicals uh, are not in the home and that the house has been cleaned thoroughly before or after they come home if, you know, if they've had uh, surgery or uh, mastectomies and things like that. Yeah, that's a really great point too, Misty, around being a green company because I think that's so important for so many people. And I love that you individualize it. I, it is so true that there is, there is no one size fits all sort of diagnosis or circumstance for people. We all sort of are, are on a different journey. So I love that you individualize that and the, the green component of your approach is also so important and a great thing to bring to people. Do you find that people are, are resistant to receiving help initially? I don't think so. I think for the most part, um, you know, we've worked with other organizations, so they've helped connect us with people. Uh, now that we're doing it kind of under our own umbrella as May Brigade Angels, uh, we did send a newsletter to all of our current customers. And so uh, they've also reached out to us and said, oh, this is wonderful. My neighbor is, you know, in the midst of treatment or this is what happened to them. Can you help my friend? So I think that that's been valuable so that, that they know that, that we can do this to help support their community, their friends, their family, their loved ones uh, in this journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I found the same thing in my journey as well, where people were um, very happy to share the resources that they had and to, you know, refer, mm-hmm. refer me into those programs. As a, as a patient, it was a little challenging for me to, to sort of take advantage of those services up front. Uh, in time, I, I learned better, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think it's challenging for us to, to ask for help or to yes. uh, see or, or that feeling of, well, there's other people that have a more serious thing and, and maybe there's other people that need it more than I do. I think that's a bit human nature, too. So. Well, the other, the other part of it is that when you think about it, the service that we provide is the most intimate service that you can provide to any customer for anything. You know, there's, there's two things that are near and dear to everyone's heart, and that's their, that's their person, their children. And, and so we get involved with both of those uh, pretty intimately when we go into some houses a couple days, a couple times a week. Most of our houses are every other week. And for someone to turn over the keys to their, their greatest possession you know, that, that's a pretty intimate relationship to begin with. So I think once people work through that in their head uh, and allow us to come into their home to help them out and not feel like it's this, um, like they're, not, they're not adequate and able to keep up with what they're supposed to do, you, know, you make it through that threshold and, and it becomes easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a relief almost for the person receiving that like to be able to surrender to that place and to accept that assistance. And then when you all leave, it's, it's lovely. (laughs) Um, I I once heard someone refer to um, that they would love to see this, the type of service that you provide being more treated more like a utility where people, it's something that people are making a more of a regular part of their life to free up, time for other things sure. um, I think sometimes we we view it as a luxury and really it it's a it's a necessity in some in some, in some cases <laughs> well the generation the generation uh, coming up now is is more in that thinking their quality of life um, and so we do become a I don't want to say a commodity at that point, but we are groceries, rent, utilities, and cleaning. Yeah. Which is which has been good for us. Thirty years ago it wasn't like that. And and I think that it, I think that's a great mindset thing for all of us. Like it just improves our overall wellness to to look at all of the roles we play in our lives and say, Oh, maybe I can outsource that role. <laughs> And how, how does that improve my well-being? And they're and you're green, so that's even better. And we're we're uh, we're toying with a another idea where it even goes further to to help people out, where we can do things like organize closets and pick up dry cleaning and do laundry and all those things that are not currently within our scope. Um, so we we've been discussing about whether or not we can get that started and get it into a, a marketing package that make, makes sense for the customers and to be able to launch that. So we're, we're looking at possibly doing that as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, David and Misty, for spending these few minutes with me today. How can 
how can people get in touch with you or how can they, what's the best way for them to refer a friend or get in touch with you for your great They service? can either, either call us directly uh, at the office phone number. Um, do you need me to say what that number is? Sure. Okay. 703-661-6464. And then it's extension 500. And just tell us that you um, heard about our Maybrookie Angels program and what your circumstances are, and we'll uh, determine what's the best way that we can help you. Okay, fantastic. And you all are located in the Northern Virginia area. Yeah, our office services Loudoun County and Western Fairfax. Okay, fantastic. Uh, the May Brigade on the national level has adopted May Brigade Angels. It was something we started locally here in our own office. So it is um, taking wings <laughs> and um, spreading itself out to the other uh, offices, uh, not only locally, but across the U.S. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for both of you for your time today um, and for sharing your info with our listeners. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate it. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. Um, it was great to talk with David and Misty and to learn more about the services that they provide through May Brigade Angels. Um, and as they mentioned, they are here locally in the Northern Virginia area, but May Brigade across the country has been, has taken their program and is implementing it. So it is available all across the United States. One item that came up um, as we were talking after we finished the interview was Misty commented that they send the same people each week uh, or each month. So the people who are doing the cleaning really get to know the families and the patients and the people that they're working with. Um, and they really have a a vested interest in in their health and well-being and really take that little bit of added pride, I think, in, in being able to provide the services that they provide um, to people at a time that is really one of the most challenging times in their life. So thank you again, David and Misty, for joining me today. Um, that was really great information that you shared and really an amazing service that you've been providing over the years to, to the local community. So as we wrap up for today, I wanted to leave you with a little visualization. Um, as we close out each episode, I'm going to leave you with just a, a brief, um, brief meditation moment and maybe some opportunity for journaling if that's your jam or something to take with you out on a walk to just sort of think through. Um, and the, the theme for today is accepting help, really being able to receive assistance when we need it, regardless of what that assistance may be. Um, so if you're in a place where you can just gently close your eyes and take a deep breath, inhaling and exhaling and one more inhale 
really filling the lungs, feeling the ribs expanding, and then exhaling. And if you are not in a place where you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open and, and uh, participate in this or save it for later. With your eyes closed, we are going to imagine that there is a door in front of you and on the side of the door with you are possibly the things that are taking your time or filling up your day. And not all those things are necessarily things that we need to do ourselves. So as you take another inhale and exhale, I want you to see what things you maybe have put on your plate that you can let go of. And as you open the door in front of you, I want you to imagine how your life could be lighter and what you might be doing as you step through that door with the lightness of the things that you have taken off your plate or asked someone else to assist you with. Um, as you walk through that door, I want you to walk into a new space where those items are no longer your responsibility and now you can see what is possible if you didn't have those items that you could give to someone else to take off your plate. And as you go through the upcoming week, I want you to think about what items are you doing that you might be able to have someone else do to free you up to make space for other areas of your own wellness and self-care. So now taking one more inhale and a last exhale. And I want to thank you for joining me today in this first episode. I hope that you were able to take a tidbit away from it. Um, join us over in the Be More Than Your Cancer Diagnosis group. And I would love to have you pop in there and share your thoughts on this week's podcast. And if you have any questions, that's a great place to share them with me as well. And if you have someone to recommend to appear as a guest or a supporter spotlight, please let me know. I would love to get those introductions. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.